as we prepare our hearts to contemplate God's word, let's pause in a moment of prayer. Let us pray. Father, we need you to speak. We need you to be the teacher. We need your spirit to bring life to your word, that it might come into our hearts to transform us. Thank you that you love us, that you want to direct our paths. May we, in obedience, go where you would lead us, say what you would place upon our lips and serve as you would equip us for the task. Teach us, we pray, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. I suspect that this verse is very much misunderstood. Instinctively, for me at least, it conjures up the idea of red-faced preachers with veins pulsing from their necks as they lean out over their pulpits and point their finger at a terrified congregation saying, God is not mocked. It's important to understand that this is not a message about an angry God who is eagerly anticipating a day when he can cause his vengeance to fall upon a sinful world. No, these words are written by a pastor whose heart is breaking for dearly loved people, his spiritual children, those who have come to faith in response to his preaching. His deep and passionate concern for them has been noted throughout this book of Galatians. And now Paul is beginning to draw his letter to a close. And he reminds his readers of why he's writing in the first place. He wants the Galatians and all of us to know that there is a danger of deception. There's a danger of Christians losing hold of Jesus and rather instead clinging tightly to things that cannot save and were never meant to. Ever since the Garden of Eden, the devil has been intent on misleading people into actions that will cause them harm. The deceiver's message has always been that there will be no consequences to be faced for our bad choices. We read in in Genesis chapter 3 verses 2 to 4. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of a tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Do you hear the lie? Can you see the deception? The devil's message is that you can do whatever you want. You can make choices in life to please yourself and you don't have to worry what the outcome will be. And we know that modern media echoes this message. It's it's very quick to portray every form of sin on our screens, but very slow to reveal the inevitable consequences. Sinful practices are, are shown as being good and glamorous, but they make sure that we don't stick around to see the harvest season. Paul is writing to remind us of what are the natural consequences of the choices that we make. 
God has so ordered the world that it works in a particular way, and we cannot and must not expect it to, to, to do otherwise. There will be no outcome other than God has determined. For example, as I was trying to explain to the children, you cannot defy gravity. If you step off a cliff, gravity will do what it has always done and is always going to do. It will take you down. All actions have consequences. And your creator, out of love for you and concern for your protection, desires that you would know what they will be. Might even be fair to say that, that people do not break God's law. It is indestructible. Rather, they break themselves upon God's law when they choose to disregard it. And here in our text, Paul uses a farming metaphor, the idea of sowing and reaping. It can't be any simpler. What you sow is what will grow. And if the farmer sows barley seed in his field in spring, he doesn't anticipate reaping a harvest of oats in the autumn. The basic principle is so very straightforward. God has laws and they cannot be transgressed without experiencing harmful consequences. But what is the specific application Paul desires for us to make from this text? Well, the apostle places before us two choices, two types of seed that may be sown. Sowing to the flesh or sowing to the spirit. Let's think first about sowing to the flesh. Verse 8. For the one who habitually and repeatedly sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Paul is writing to the church, to believers. And the particular dangers that are faced by those who are active in the life of the church are very different from the dangers faced by those in the world, or at least they ought to be. I'm assuming that you don't need me to tell you that if you drink alcohol to excess, you will end up with a harvest that includes cirrhosis of the liver and other health complications, never mind what this will do to your family and other relationships. You don't need me to tell you that if you're sexually promiscuous, that you'll reap a harvest that will include sexually transmitted diseases and all other manner of hurt and harm. And you don't need me to tell you that if you misuse illegal drugs, you will reap a harvest of a destructive addiction that will eventually take your life. All of these choices are, are certainly sowing to the flesh and corruption, which is elsewhere translated as death, decay and destruction, will assuredly be the harvest. Yes, when, when we read this, in the first instance, our minds turn to what could be described as the obvious and evident sinful practices that we see in the world around us. But when Paul writes this, I believe that he's thinking not of well-known worldly sins, but of the deception of the false gospel that was being preached to the Galatians. And he's warning them of the danger of doing good for the wrong reasons, of pursuing religious things in the vain attempt to set oneself right with God. 
as a former Pharisee, one who excelled in his law keeping, he understands that the greatest threat to the souls of God's people are not sexual sins, but self-righteousness, not heroin, but holiness pursued through good works. That was the warning. We find back in chapter 3 and verse 3 where, where Paul asks his readers, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The Galatians' greatest danger was not in the practice of sinful works, but in the pursuit of good works and religious rituals as the basis for their right standing before God. The churches in Galatia were plagued by those who, after Paul's departure, had come preaching that to be saved, to be a genuine Christian, you must do this and this and this and keep doing more and more and more. And such messages, often heard from pulpits, lead to one of two tragic outcomes. Either being puffed up with pride in your achievements or pressed down by pain at your failure. This is the soul-destroying corruption that is reaped in a life that sows to the flesh, a life that is deceived into pursuing a right relationship with God merely through good human endeavour. The God-honouring alternative is sowing to the Spirit. Again, back in verse 8. The one who sows to the Spirit, again, habitually and repeatedly, not reading your Bible once a year or going to church at Christmas, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Hopefully you've got the point that eternal life is not a reward for consistently practicing good works, but is the outcome of the one and only essential work, which is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Sowing to the Spirit means, rather, that you're walking by faith and living in daily dependence upon the Spirit, readily recognising that without His moment-by-moment -moment empowering and guidance, that you'll be able to do nothing to please God. So consequently, keeping in step with the Spirit, you sin less and repent more as the Holy Spirit works within you to sanctify you. Increasingly aware of your own unworthiness, you marvel at being a child of God and, and live eagerly to obey him and walk according to his commands. Motivated by a heart that is filled with joy at his unmerited favour showered upon your life. Conforming your life to God's good laws no longer is a legalistic requirement but a loving response of a transformed heart. Following God's commands is now a blessing, not a burden. You're not deceived. You understand that every choice has a consequence. And so you choose with the Spirit's enabling to live according to God's plan. Because the consequences are not just to experience eternal life later, but real life now. The life in all its fullness that Jesus died to purchase for you. In his book, Unlimited Grace, Brian Chappell asserts that directing people to live in such a manner is the preacher's calling. He writes, Identifying the path of safety and blessing that God has designed for his people is not ungracious. 
With God's help, or we help God's people to know the path because walking God's way honours him, displays the character of his holiness and love, and blesses those who are thereby are kept from sadness and suffering that experience outside the boundaries of his path. Sowing to the Spirit is being conformed to God's design and walking in the narrow way which leads to life. Sowing to the flesh, sowing to the spirit, serving in the church, verses 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good, or literally doing beautiful things. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We're not saved by doing good. That's a consistent message from Paul's pen. But if we are saved, we will do good. That has been echoed in our recent studies in the book of James and in 1 John and here in Galatians. Doing good is the outworking of what God by his, by his Spirit has first worked in us. In his commentary on Galatians, Todd Wilson writes, Generous giving requires that we live spirit and poor lives. It would be a tragic mistake to think generosity comes simply from trying harder or being more disciplined. It doesn't. We cannot sidestep the spirit and expect to be generous with our time, treasures and talents. Why then might we grow weary? Why then might we experience what we could call compassion fatigue? Three reasons. Firstly, because it takes work. Lazy farmers don't reap bumper crops. It takes hard work to bring in the harvest. And yes, God's child may be strengthened by the Spirit, but it's still the Christian's mind, the Christian's muscles that are being taxed in serving, and this will leave you weary. I wonder, have you ever sat around all day and done nothing? I'm a minister. I know from experience about such things. And if you sit around all day and do nothing, at the end of the day, you're exhausted. So if you're going to end the day tired anyway, you might as well be tired because you've worked hard in the service of God's kingdom. We grow weary because it takes work. And we grow weary because it wounds. Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12 says this. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground. For it is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. If there's a harvest to be gathered in, the ground must be broken up first. It is a necessarily discomforting experience in the life of God's child. At no point did Jesus ever say that in following him, life would get easier. Service requires sacrifice. You must die to yourself, to your own wants and desires. To follow Jesus means to take up your cross and that is going to hurt. 
we grow weary because it takes work. We grow weary because it wounds and we grow weary because it requires waiting. It takes time for the harvest to come. It might seem like it's never going to happen. And waiting does not come naturally to us. But patience is fruit of the Spirit. The promise of God assures us that in the appropriate season, the harvest will come and God's promises do not fail. All actions have consequences. Therefore, sowing to the Spirit, particularly through serving in the church, will reap a harvest of eternal life. Lives will be transformed eternally. Perhaps this may even come long after you are gone, but in generations yet to be, God will keep his promises. The spiritual harvest will come. Oh yes, there are many challenges. You may grow weary and feel like giving up, but while you have breath, it is the sowing season. God's children are called to serve. And we are called to begin our service among the household of faith with God's people, the fellowship of believers. We are to, as John Wesley famously said, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places that you can, at all the times you can, to all the people that you can, as long as ever you can. Sowing to the flesh, sowing to the spirit, serving the church. Finally, let us note the saving work of Christ. Very cryptically, in the gospel account of John, it seems as though the arrival of some Greeks asking to see Jesus in John 12 verse 20 marks a significant turning point. We're not told whether this request was granted or not, but what is clear is that from that very moment, Jesus recognised and announced that he was about to die. And so he says in John 12 and verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is the ultimate spiritual farmer, sowing the supreme spiritual seed, his body given up to death. And the sowing brought in an amazing harvest with the Lord himself as its first fruits. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20 and verse 23. In Psalm 126 verses 5 and 6 we read, Those who sow in tears, shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Good Friday was a day of death, a day of weeping, a day of sowing. But three days later, Easter Sunday morning, was a day of life, a day marked by shouts of joy as the harvest began. And here is the lesson that we must grasp. What you sow is what will grow. So do not be deceived. Sow to the spread. Place your hope in Christ's finished work alone. 
Good works can't save you, but if you are saved, you must do good works. The sowing season is the serving season. It's a season of tears. It's marked by work, wounds, waiting and weariness. But the assurance is that after the weeping, there will be a rich harvest, a season of joy and celebration yet to come. Sow to the spread, trust in Jesus, and through him reap the richest reward of eternal life. Let's pray together. Father God, we pray that you would teach us, that we would listen and learn, that we would apply this truth. Forgive us for those times when we seek to work our way into your kingdom that we do good things simply to earn your favour. Rather, may we know that your love for us is confirmed in Christ. You loved us so much that you sent your Son to save us. There's nothing more to be earned. It's all freely given to us in grace. But out of gratitude, out of delight from your love poured upon us, may we sow to the spread. May we do good works. May we serve you in this kingdom until we see the harvest brought in. To the honour and glory of the name of Jesus Christ alone we pray. Amen.